And I pray that we would have hearts that are teachable and soft before you, that these things are applied in our lives. These are very important things for us to consider and to pray through and allow you to work in our lives. So we give you this time uh, to be attentive to the things that you want to show us as we read your word in Jesus' name. And of course, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, we saw that the chapter began by telling us to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the way for us to be strong in the Lord is to live in his love for us, to walk in his grace that has been given to us, that undeserved favor of God. And we have seen that Timothy was told that you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Timothy, in pastoring the church at Ephesus there in the first century, he would have challenges. He would have difficulties, as we have discussed in our previous studies. He would have to confront those who have come into the church that taught false doctrine and and deceptive things, Uh, those who had caused harm, uh, divisions to the Christians and to the church, and it would not be easy for him to have to deal with all that, the internal uh, upheavals and, and challenges that he is facing, as well as the, the external persecution that's coming against the church by the hands of Caesar Nero, who is the emperor who's declared war on the Christians at this time. And he would definitely, the uh, uh, young Timothy uh, would experience hardship. And, and Paul is, is saying to him, you are a soldier of Jesus Christ. You must endure hardships as a sh- soldier. And you don't get entangled with the affairs of this life. But a soldier, you be dedicated, you be committed, you be disciplined, and you sacrifice for your commanding officer, Jesus Christ. And then as we travel through the chapter, Paul would change the metaphor by saying you also are one like, like an athlete that is competing. And he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And again, an athlete is to be disciplined and dedicated, trains. If he runs a race, he keeps focus on the finish line. Uh, uh, he stays in his lane. He doesn't stray out of his lane. He doesn't run in somebody else's lane. You don't run backwards, but you press on towards the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then thirdly, you'd be like a hardworking farmer that is dedicated to producing a crop. There is reward for, for him, and, and that is that he is the first to partake of the crop. And Paul would write, consider what I say, Timothy, and may the Lord give you understanding in all these things. And that's, uh, of course, uh, something that is for us as well. And so we have been considering these things over the last couple weeks in this chapter. And Paul, in the rest of the chapter that we will finish, is talking about approved and disapproved workers. Be diligent, as we saw last time, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who need not be ashamed. That's verse 15, rightly dividing the word of truth. Timothy, you work hard in studying and searching and teaching and rightly dividing to correctly handle the word of God as you give it to others. That's been an emphasis in these two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. But it's more than just uh, uh, book learning, as we talked about last time. It is an attitude. It is uh, having it worked out in your life. You make sure that you give people the word of truth and you stay away from profane 
vain and useless chatter. You realize that that kind of talk just leads to more ungodliness. Those who bring division and gossip and false teaching and, and are the likes of Hymenaeus and Philetus, as we ended at verse 19. Those two individuals that were named in this epistle as causing harm to the church and to the Christians. And as we ended at verse 19, he would write, the apostle, inspired by the Spirit of God, that nevertheless the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Remember that the word of God stands, and you can rely on it. Uh, it, you can focus on it, you can learn it, and as you do, it will keep you from straying. It will keep you from iniquity. It will keep you from useless chatter. So let's continue in verse 20 of 2 Timothy 2 as we close the year. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. So consider a great house. And in this house, there's a variety of vessels uh, using the, uh, an illustration that we can easily picture. Because in our own homes, uh, there are different vessels, aren't there? There's containers, there's pitchers, there's bowls, there's vases, there's plates that we use. And when you have company or perhaps during the holiday season, Thanksgiving or at Christmas, that what you did was uh, you brought out the best silverware, the, the plates, uh, uh, the the utensils and pictures and, and those kinds of things. And Paul says, in this great house, there are vessels of gold and silver, which are vessels of honor. Now, also in our homes, we have vessels such as garbage bins or a kitty litter box. Maybe some of you have that. And Paul painting this picture for us is likening a vessel of, uh, of dishonor, of wood, clay, a vessel uh, of dishonor as he continues to, to give us this illustration and the point that is behind it for our application in our lives. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, verse 21, the vessel of dishonor, you will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So what is the scripture telling us? Paul has been talking about the worker that is approved and then those who are disapproved. They have caused problems. They overthrow the faith of some. Uh, Hymenaeus, Philetus, named as uh, those who are doing works of dishonor, vessels of dishonor. So clearly the reference here is to be faithful. And, and then also he's speaking about those who are unfaithful within the church. And, and what we know is that the scripture likens us to vessels. Romans chapter 9, verse 21. Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make a vessel for honor and another for dishonor? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. That we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. After Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, that he was told, you're a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. And what makes a vessel of honor is a vessel that is fit 
for the master's use. And that's what we need to remember. You be faithful, being a workman that need not be ashamed. And we are not to be ones that consider ourselves as we read this. The key is we're not like a gold plate or china that's just on display and never is used. Uh, the key is uh, that we are ones that we are used for the master's purposes and, and for his glory. Uh, and then we are not to have anything to do with those who are vessels of dishonor. You are to have nothing to do with false teachers such as who was named here in this chapter back in verse 17. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so the obvious point here is that we are to be vessels of honor, sanctified and useful for the master. Now, as many of you know, that word sanctified uh, means to be separated out, to set aside. And we are to be set aside for God's use, for honorable purposes. We need to know what is a good work in God's eyes. Uh, it means that you are serving others. Now, to the world, it may not seem like that you're doing anything important when you do those things that are pleasing in God's eyes, when you're serving others, when you minister to the little ones, when you're ministering to somebody who is sick, when you're helping people out in very practical ways. As we go into a new year, as you, as you give that word of truth and encouragement, perhaps to that coworker or or that family member, or an old friend that, that you know is struggling and going through difficulties. When you run into somebody at the store or Walmart or whatever, Target, and you haven't seen him for a while, and how are you doing? Uh, just really having a hard time, and you stop, and you minister to them, maybe even pray with them. I've done that before in the store. As we just serve others, making a meal for somebody who needs it and helping out and, and caring for others, that's a good work in God's eyes. Now, have you ever had at work where something special had to be done? Uh, at the workplace that your supervisor uh, needed, your boss needed, and they ended up picking you. The boss picked you, the, the company picked you, separated you out and to do this special project, to this thing that was a priority. And it was an honor. You said, yes, you know, they picked me because they trust you. They know that you are dedicated, that you work hard. They know that you'll get it done. They trust you to follow through. Well, think about this, really, because we don't always, that the creator of the universe that the one who loves you so much has sanctified you and me, set us apart to bring glory and honor to him. For you to be a vessel of honor useful for the master's use. He desires to prepare us for that good work. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, you know the verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. So the question is, how can I be that vessel of honor, useful for the Lord's work and his purposes for his glory? And we are told in verse 21, cleanse yourself from the vessel of dishonor. That is, you're separated, uh, set apart for the Lord, but you are to also separate yourself from those who pollute and teach false things or cause division on the body of Christ in the house of God. I want to be one 
And, and I hope that all of us have this, this mindset and this heart. I want to be one that is useful, a worker who need not be ashamed. I want to stand on the, the solid foundation of God. I want to be one that stands on the truth of God's word. I want to be open and submit it to where God has me and what he has for me to do for him. I want to be a vessel of honor. I don't want to become polluted and contaminated by things or, or people that defile or this world. And my kids are all grown up, but many, many years ago when they were small, I won't say which one, but I remember, I'll never forget this, I came upstairs and, and one of them was a toddler and as I looked in the bathroom, I looked horrified at what they were doing. They had my toothbrush, and they were splashing around in the toilet. That thing that was useful, all of a sudden, it was rendered useless. It was thrown in the trash. It was polluted. And I want you to hear my heart on this, because I have seen Christians that were used of the Lord, doing good things for the Lord. And they got caught up in, for example, strange doctrine, or they got caught up in legalism, or in someone that was bringing division or bitterness into the church. It defiled them. It polluted them. And it reflected on their usefulness in the body of Christ. And the enemy will use those kinds of things to try to make every single one of us a vessel of dishonor. And I don't want to do that. I want to guard against that. I want to check everything out with the word of God so I don't get caught up with useless and vain chatter and that which is false. Uh, I want to be diligent to present myself approved to God and how I live my life for the Lord and what I do for the Lord. I want it to be likened to gold and silver and precious metals as Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that our works are built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ likened to gold, silver, precious metals, or it's likened to wood, hay, and stubble. Now, that day will come for every single one of us, as Romans 14 tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, the, the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Not to be judged for our salvation, because we can't earn our salvation. We can't work for our salvation. But with that said, Christians, we need to understand that the Bible talks a whole lot about rewards and about crowns and standing at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. And our works are going to be tested by fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. So our hearts are to be, Lord, I want to be a vessel of honor in your house, God's house, because you have sanctified me for good works. And I want to stay away from that which will just contaminate, that will dishonor you, that will bring harm to Christians, to the church. I, I want to serve you faithfully, humbly, in a way that is pleasing to you. And as he's exhorting us, then verse 22, flee also useful lusts, but pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, why would Paul bring this up? It's almost as though he's kind of changing his train of thought. Timothy, flee useful lusts. But we see that there is definitely a connection here to the previous verse. 
And that is to ensure that we are a vessel of honor being sanctified. We must flee useful lust. Now we know that Timothy, that he was not so much young. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy, you recall that Paul, five years previous to this, when he wrote that first letter, in 1 Timothy 4, he says, Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. And Timothy at that time was probably about 35 years of age. He had been with Paul the Apostle for 15 years, traveling with him. Now he's around 40 or, or close to 40, around that age. We don't consider that young, but he's saying, listen, flee these youthful lusts, you know. And what does he mean by that? I think that Paul is referring to the wants and the temptations that can be especially prominent when someone is young or, or more immature, so does that mean when we're older, and Timothy here is older, I mean, he's a faithful, you know, pastor. He's been with Paul for 20 years, learned from him. Paul said of Timothy, you're my son in the faith. I have no one like-minded. You, Timothy, you are that one. But I think that he's reminding him of something that we need to remind it, even as we grow in the Lord and journey with the Lord as we get older in the Lord is that we need to flee those useful lusts that can still come our way. And regardless of your age, you are to flee those things. Don't think, well, I can watch that, or I can go to this place, or participate in that, because I'm not a kid anymore. I can handle it. Don't kid yourself. For the lusts that are very real when we are young are the very lusts that we are to continue to flee all the days of our lives. And I believe that's what Paul is saying. Timothy, you flee those useful lusts. Now, when David in the Old Testament, when he sinned with Bathsheba, he was older. He was about 50 years of age. He should have been out to war with, with the men, with Joab, but he wasn't. He stayed home. And he comes out on his balcony, and it's interesting that when you go to the city of David where they've excavated so much, you know, in the last 10 years, they believe they found David's palace, and there's this terrace, and David was up on the hill there, and he could look down on all the other, you know, places, and his mighty men would live around him, and he walks out one night, and he sees Bathsheba, and he calls for her, and he knew that Bathsheba was the wife of one of his mighty men, Uriah. And yet he entertained. He saw, he looked, he called for her, he sinned with her. The command is simple, flee useful lust. Don't entertain them. Don't be challenged by them. You are to endure them. Don't, you know, don't try to endure them. Don't play around with it. Don't mess around with it. You flee. You flee to ensure that you remain a vessel of honor. And as a Christian, if we do not learn to flee useful lust, then there will be a limit to how useful that any of us will be to the master. And I think that a lot of us can think of someone that was being used of the Lord and they're not anymore because they pursued their lust. They fell into sin. They're not being used anymore, at least not in the way they could have or should have. When David sinned with Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet came to him. Most of us know the story. David tried to hide it for months, uh, almost a year. And he probably thought, I got away with it. Nobody's going to know. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, Nathan the prophet comes to him. 
and says, David, we got a problem in the kingdom. There is a wealthy man that took a poor man's sheep and killed it and ate it. And David was so furious. And he said, surely that man must die. And Nathan looked David in the eyes and said, you're the man. You are the one that took Uriah's wife. And you sinned. And you had Uriah killed. And David, he, as his sin was confronted and he was before his sin, was found out. He confessed his sin. He was forgiven. But God had a message for David. And God said, David, I'd anointed you. I delivered you from Saul. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? And yes, David was forgiven, but there was consequences for his sin. He was never the king after that that he was before that. He was a great psalmist. You read the psalms uh, as he confessed his sin in his brokenness and calling out to the Lord. We have those psalms recorded, but he was never the king that he was before. And there was great consequences, negative consequences and repercussions in his family because of his sin. You might recall in 1 Timothy 3 the qualification uh, of an overseer, a pastor, having a good reputation among those who are outside, lest they fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Listen, if a pastor falls into sin, particularly if it comes to immorality or adultery, he will be like David who was told, yes, you are forgiven, but you have given the enemies of God to blaspheme his name. And people will look at that person and they will say, whether you think it's fair or not, whether you think it's you know justified or not, people will look at that and say, he calls himself a man of God. How could he do that? This is really important. You flee useful lust. The best example of that is Joseph in the book of Genesis that I see. Illustrated for us when Joseph was just a young man. His brothers threw him into a pit, sold him to a caravan going to Egypt into slavery. They were going to kill him. They thought, well, we might as well make some money off of him. So they sold him. He ends up being sold into slavery. And he's a steward in Potiphar's house. And he's a young guy. He's been betrayed by his brothers. Uh, he's been sold into slavery. And all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife takes interest in him. And she begins to make advances towards him. And Joseph very easily could have said, listen, uh, I, I've, you know, God has forsaken me. Uh, I have been forsaken by my family. Uh, you know, I, I'm just, while I'm in Egypt, I might as well, you know, benefit from this. And Potiphar's wife, of course, grabbed Joseph and, and said, lie with me. And what did Joseph do? He fled. He got out of there. And he said, how can I do this wickedness before my God? And that is a real key for us in life to have that heart and that mindset of when the temptations come to flee, get out of there and to have the heart that says, how can I do this wickedness before my God? He fled. You flee lust and then you pursue faith, love, peace on those who call out on the Lord of pure heart. The two are connected. You flee to lust, youthful lust, pursue righteous things. If you are taken in the word at home, if you're not going to be watching that, you know, thing that will cause you to flesh out or pulling up that on the computer, you flee hanging out 
uh, in places that are cause you to carnal out. When the guys at work say, hey, let's go out. Wednesday is the middle of the week. Let's go out and have some fun and slam down some, you know, beers and all of this and and uh, yuck it up a little bit. You say, listen, I'm going to go to midweek service. I'm going to go to church. You be here. And they'll make fun of you. They'll say, what do you mean? Who goes to church on Wednesday? I do. And as you do, as you flee that, you won't be idle and tempted to sin. You see, a real key for us, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if you are walking in the Spirit, pursuing faith, love, then you will not have a desire to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You won't pursue your lust. And notice in verse 22, we read that you are to also pursue peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, hang out with those who are desiring to live and pursue righteousness. Find people who walk with the Lord and call on the Lord. You be here. You don't be alone. But we, with others that are pursuing the same thing, surround yourself with brothers and sisters. And I know that you do. That's why you're here. But that is a huge need today. And maybe there's somebody that you know that they're a believer, but they're just out alone. They're, they're not in fellowship. They don't think it's important. It is important because the world is mean out there and nasty and dark and deceptive. And it's getting worse. We have many opportunities for fellowship as we head into January, Bible studies all week long, prayer times. And I know that you can't always be here. But all of us have decisions to make and what is a priority. To say that this place with the body of Christ is a refuge for me. To be in a place where I can get away from all the junk and temptations of the world. A place where I can learn and be built up and encouraged and prayed for. Fellowship with other Christians that want to grow like, like you do. As Hebrews chapter 10 tells us not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. As is the matter of some, especially as you see the day approaching. We're seeing the day approaching. And I mention this because more and more Christians are choosing not to be in fellowship. It's not important. It's a priority. There's so many pulls and tugs on us. So our Christian walk, it is never just a matter of just avoiding bad things. It is also the pursuit of good things. In verse 23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Uh, another way that you can be limited in your usefulness to the Lord is not only pursuing your lust, but being involved in foolish and ignorant disputes. And as a pastor, oftentimes, I'll have somebody that always wants to challenge me on some theological point and dispute. And I'm not talking about somebody who's real sincere and wanting to know more about a particular matter or, you know, in Scripture or uh, has a sincere question. Uh, I, I can talk with other, and I've even talked with other pastors that have a different uh, view on certain theological points. We can fellowship. We can be brothers in the Lord. But I think that all of us have known someone that all they want to do is argue and dispute and try to show how smart they are and have their agendas. I've had that happen a few times after service. I remember it wasn't long ago that there was a guy after one of his services came up and he said, I'm a pastor. And he just started spewing out, you know, right there, got it all up and, you know, close to me and all this scripture. And I had no idea what his point was, but he just wanted to argue. 
And it ends up when we get involved with that, it's a lot of wasted time and energy ends up being fruitless and causes strife. And sometimes when people know that you're a Christian, they'll try to get you all caught up and argue with you and trip you up in all of this. And the thing that we need to remember is that we are to be ones that as verse 24, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. We know that, that great men of the world are usually not thought of as servants nor as gentle, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, Jesus said, if you want to be great, then you must be the servant of all. Greatness is marked by gentleness, meekness. Jesus would say, Matthew chapter 11, on a hillside in Galilee, for I am gentle, meek, and lowly in heart. And don't ever think that meekness means weakness. It doesn't. It is strength under control. So Paul here starts the chapter out by saying, be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and that strength as we're strong walking in grace, it includes meekness. So Paul writing to Timothy about what kind of pastor he should be, the Lord is telling us how we should be as a Christian. You are to be a servant of the Lord. To be a vessel of honor for the master means truly to be a servant of the master. My Christianity is not about I'll do my own thing, I'll go my own way, I'll submit to you, Lord, only you know um, if I agree with it or want to. You must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. My ministry as a pastor is not to go around picking fights and looking for conflicts. And perhaps you've known someone, and I have a few, even in the church, unfortunately, that they only feel energized and motivated if they have an opponent. They want to dig their trenches and throw their spiritual you know, grenades. And we're not to be like that. Timothy, you must be able to teach. Be gentle. Teaching, of course, this has been a great emphasis of Paul in this epistle in 1 Timothy. And as a pastor, I must be emphasizing God's word, teach it. And all of us, we can teach others. As you grow in the word, you have that which you can share with others. And you might think, well, I can't teach a Bible study. I don't think I'm ready for that. But you can share truth with others, with your children. You can share truth with the unbeliever. You can share truth with that person that's never even opened the Bible. There's more and more people. They've never even opened the Bible. So a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle, be able to teach, be patient. And God, he needs to work on us in this area. We need to remember that God's work often takes time in an individual. We live in a world where we want things to happen right away, don't we? And God will work in his time, and he wants us to patiently trust him and to continue to minister. Sometimes people think, well, I shared with that person. You know, I shared with them for three minutes, and they didn't accept the Lord. Keep sharing with them. Keep, keep loving them, serving them, encouraging them. We've had people come to service here for months before they gave their life to the Lord. Just being patient, talking with them, praying with them. You know, and then their eyes were opened up and they were ready to make a decision for the Lord as the Lord ministered to them. So we need to learn to be patient with others as he's working in their lives. 
and in humility correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. So the gentleness and patience that we're to have does not mean that we never bring correction to those who need it but when we do it must be done in humility and with love. And when Paul writes, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, I don't believe that he's implying, well, maybe God will, you know, forgive them. Maybe he won't, you know, grant them repentance. The idea is this, that the false teachers, Timothy, you bring correction in humility and they need to repent and it won't happen apart from God working in their lives. So that they may know the truth. And that's why we do that. That they might come to their senses. Escape the snare of the devil. False teaching in the church is always the handiwork of Satan. Don't be held captive by this. But you and all of us here. May we choose to be that soldier that is obeying the the orders of our commander Jesus Christ. May we choose instead to to be like that athlete that is living according to the principles of Scripture. And may we be like that farmer to not grow weary in doing well. But as we continue to sow seeds of the Spirit, of the Spirit, we will reap to everlasting life and a good crop and to continue to do the Lord's will, to be a vessel of honor for him in the days in which we're living in. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this great encouragement to us. And it can be challenging in our lives. But I do pray for us that we would be ones, that we want to be vessels of honor for you, Lord. Our Christianity isn't just about us. I think of the song that we sang this morning. It reminds me of of what John records the Baptist, John the Baptist saying in John chapter 3, that he must increase and I must decrease. For us to continue in growing in you and in love for you, to please you, you must increase. And that's my prayer for, for all of us in this new year. That we would have a heart that that says, Lord, I want to please you with my life. Be useful for the master's use. Wherever you've planted us, opportunities you've given to us. And Father, I just pray that as a church, Calvary Chapel, that we would stay true to the scriptures, true to your word. Father, that we would be a, a city on a hill, giving light to so many that are lost in this community, that as a church we would have a heart for the lost. And be patient. Allow you to work. Serve others, loving them in humility before you, Lord. I thank you for the way you have worked here in this last year. People getting saved. Marriages healed. People rededicating their lives to the Lord. People growing in the word. Serving one another with with a heart of love towards others. Ministering to others. Giving truth, Lord. And I know that you want to do so much more. And I pray that you would. 
I pray that we would be open to you and what you have for us. That we would be used in these last days. Father, I pray that we would be a light of truth, not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation for whoever believes. And as we come to Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and rose again, that we would give the message that is our hope. It's in him and what he did for us in going to the cross and dying for our sins and conquering sin and death through the resurrection that gives us a living hope. Father, I thank you for that message that is proclaimed. And I pray if there's anyone here that you've never given your life to Jesus, if you never made a commitment that he loves you so much and he desires for you to come to him and be forgiven, that's where your forgiveness is found. He provided that. Made atonement on the cross and died for your sins and he rose again. And he says, come, believe in me. And you can come to him and be forgiven and receive the promise of eternal life as you come in faith and you pray, Jesus, I come to you and ask that you would forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I come in faith. I believe in that you're alive. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for this new beginning as I head into a new year. I thank you for your love for me in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you would just touch everyone here in a deep way. And then as we enter into a new year, a new decade, keeping our eyes on you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you please stand?